The following podcast is meant for educational and entertainment purposes only and is not to be considered as legal advice and does not contain an attorney-client relationship. If you need legal advice, contact a licensed attorney in your state. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Plead the Sixth, where two lawyers and a real person talk about the law. I'm Kathry. I'm the real person. I'm Stacy Krauss, and I'm one of the lawyers. And I'm Courtney Daly. I'm the other lawyer. And today we are talking about the burden of proof, which I have been informed is very important. So um, does someone want to tell me what burden of proof is? Well, (laughs) a burden of proof is what is legally required in order for a person bringing a case to prove their case in court. So, um, and the burden would be on the person bringing it. So like in a civil case, the burden of proof in a civil case, we're going to get to explaining all this in a second, is preponderance of the evidence. And the plaintiff is the person bringing the case. So it's upon the plaintiff to prove their case by a preponderance of the evidence. That is a very simplistic concept of what burden of proof is, but that is mm-hmm. essentially it, it, you know, who, who has responsibility for proving the case and what level of proof is required. That's what the burden of proof is. Gotcha. So it's basically saying that the person, the person who has the problem has to prove that it's a problem. Yes. Yeah. Basically it's, if you're going to make a claim against someone, there's a certain amount of evidence that you have to bring in order to prove your claim. And depending on what you're claiming depends on how much evidence and you have to bring. Meaning, depending on what you're what you're accusing them of, that depends on the burden in which you have to prove that at. So like she said, if it's a civil case, if that's the if you're accusing them of, you know, a civil uh, dispute, then there's a certain level of evidence or amount of evidence that you have to show to meet that burden. And if you're, you know, the state and you're accusing someone of a crime, there's another level of the amount of evidence that you have to bring to prove that. And and that in the case of a criminal case, it's upon the state. They have to prove it. And we talked about presumption of innocence in a previous podcast. This goes directly ties into that. And that is that, you know, because the defendant is presumed innocent, they're presumed to be the people that are correct. And the state has to bring enough evidence to show that the defendant is is guilty or that, you know, like because the defendant is no longer innocent because they have that that presumption of innocence. So they're presumed that the defendant is thought to be right, like they are not guilty. They're innocent of the charges. And then the state has to has the burden to prove that they are guilty. Yeah. OK, that doesn't seem too hard to understand. So. It seems like it's a spectrum, right? Like there are some there are some situations in which the burden is relatively low and situations where the burden is relatively high. Can you guys like walk me through like what's what's are there situations where there's like no burden of proof? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> All right, asked and answered. Moving on. <laughs> so, I guess the best okay. way the best way to picture it in the in the way that we 
um, visualize this for the jury as well is to picture a staircase. And at the top of the stairs, that's where you could find someone guilty of a crime. And at the bottom of the stairs, the very, very bottom, I guess, before you even take your first step onto the stairs is no evidence, right? That's, that's the first part of the burdens is no evidence. You have nothing, um, which seems, you know. That's a pretty simple concept. Yeah. I think, I don't think we need to spend a lot of time on no evidence. Yeah. <laughs> but like, okay. But though, like, oh, go ahead. So you're saying the burden is no evidence. No, there at the, the bottom the of the burden, stairs there's no evidence. Yeah, the burden started no evidence. So anytime someone brings a claim or in this instance since we're talking about crimes, when the state brings a case against a person at the beginning of trial, that's where we start. We start at no evidence because the jury has seen nothing. So that's why the no evidence part is important because you have to – that's where you're starting. Every case, when you bring it before it's before the judge or the jury or whatever, you're starting at no evidence because no one has proven anything yet. And that's why it's important when we're talking to a jury before we start trial that we have that question we've discussed previously, which is if you were to have to decide this case right now, how would you decide it? And the jurors who say, well, I'm not sure. I haven't heard anything yet. They haven't quite understood the point we're making yet. So that's why we we make sure that we that they do understand that. Because at the point when we're doing jury selection, they've heard no evidence. The person, if they had to vote right, that would be not guilty. Okay. That, I yes, that makes sense. By, by default, the person is not guilty. And so if there is no evidence, that person cannot be guilty. Correct. Okay, so so the staircase is the trial. Is that what the staircase is? The staircase is the evidence. The staircase is the evidence. And so as you go up the staircase, you have more evidence. Yes. Yes. So for- you're required to have more evidence, legally speaking. Okay. Yeah. So in different cases, the 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 landing is at different heights on the staircase. Yeah, that's a good one. I like that. Different landings. Yeah. Thanks. We may have to steal that. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so yeah. So we're starting at no evidence. And if you have anything other than no evidence, even if it's like a grain of sand, then you have a scintilla of evidence, <laughs> which is like <laughs> it, it's just any evidence at all. Even if it's the smallest uh, measurable amount of evidence, you have a scintilla. So you don't have no evidence, but you have a scintilla. And it can even be yeah. evidence that, that you know is untrue. Mm-hmm. But somebody said it, so it's still evidence. So it, a scintilla, yeah. Does, so it's a, but a scintilla. It it's not true. Scintilla, the, the scintilla of evidence burden only matters in very limited circumstances. Um, the scintilla of evidence would be in civil cases, there's a thing called a motion for summary judgment where somebody, usually the defendant, brings a case saying the plaintiff has not provided anything to prove their case and the courts will find that will de- deny the, the um, motion for summary judgment. If there is a scintilla of evidence that the plaintiff has brought. Right. Um, <laughs> okay. So, I like this. And it's the same thing for directed verdicts um, where after one side has presented their case, they can ask the judge for a directed verdict and a directed verdict. I'm going to real quickly explain that. A directed verdict is where the judge tells the jury the verdict they have to return. 
What? So the judge tells the jury you have to return a not guilty verdict, for example, although it never happens in criminal. Or the judge tells the jury you have to return a verdict in favor of the defendant um, in a in a um, civil case. So in order for a judge to be able to direct the verdict, tell the jury what they have to return, there can't be a scintilla of evidence for the side that they're directing it against. So Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. It would be weird if they could. Right. This would be a case where the plaintiff was like literally brought nothing to to prove their case. There's no jury in the land would ever side with the plaintiff anyway. Um, and so the judge just ends the trial there, directs the verdict. Yeah, that makes sense. Like how it is wild to me that a plaintiff would even show up to trial with just literally no evidence. Has it, does that happen? Uh, I mean, it obviously has happened before since there is such thing as a direct <laughs> verdict. Okay, and, that's fair. And honestly, the, the direct, the, this whole thing with scintilla of evidence is not a real popular concept in our country. Um, I'm sure there's still a few jurisdictions who might follow it, but um, it, the burden's gotten greater now for being able to, well, when I mean the burden, the, the burden is on the plaintiff to actually bring real evidence and not just a scintilla of evidence in most case, in most places. So this is, this is kind of an outdated rule, but it's still something, you know, it means something. Mm-hmm. Sure. It's with like the landing is still there. No one steps, no one goes to that landing. It's dusty. It's rarely ever cleaned, but like the landing is still there. So. Yeah, Moving every, on. you don't accomplish a lot at just scintilla of evidence <laughs> unless you want that directed verdict. So if you're trying to prove something, you're going to need more than a scintilla typically. Yes. Um. So then next on the staircase, so you've gone up one step, you, you're at scintilla of evidence. You're going to go up one more and congratulations, you have made it to reasonable suspicion. <laughs> and I think we talked about this a little bit. In the past. I am having so much fun on this dark. Are you? <laughs> so reasonable suspicion is what cops are required to have in order to stop you during a traffic stop or stop you on the street and frisk you in order to, for them to have interaction where they actually get to restrain your freedom or search you. They have to have reasonable suspicion that you've done something you shouldn't do. Um, that that's illegal, not just something you shouldn't do, but obviously that's illegal. So if <laughs> okay. it's objectively justifiable suspicion based on specific facts that justify stopping or searching a person thought to be involved in criminal activity at that time. <laughs> so oh. that's what suspicion is. Okay. So not that person looked at me funny, but like, I heard a sound coming from their trunk sort of situation. Yeah, that I mean, would absolutely be reasonable suspicion. Well, depending on the sound. What's the sound you're hearing? Well, if if there's any sound coming from a trunk, like 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 if the car's not moving and there's sound coming from the trunk. Yeah, some people keep their subwoofer yeah. in the trunk. Well, it could also I mean it's also <laughs> just like you didn't use your blinker like when you made a turn. Mm-hmm. They have reasonable suspicion to pull the you. The cops saw it. Yeah, the cop thought. Well, they can pull you over for traffic stops, right? Yeah, that's what. So re- that's all stops. you need for traffic spo- stops is reasonable suspicion. So that's what a traffic stop is. Is is they they've got reasonable suspicion that you've committed a crime. Traffic violations are crimes. I don't know if that's news to you. Huh. 
They're just crimes that not a lot of people care about. (laughs) They're they're fine only offenses. They're not going to have any long-lasting effects on your life. But they are nonetheless, you know, criminal offenses that suck that the officers can pull you over for. And, um, and they can, there, there are certain limitations on what they can do at reasonable suspicion. Um, but they can pull you over, investigate the alleged crime. Um, sometimes they, it, they can search you for it too. Yeah. Can so anything it, happen, can anything happen legally at this point of evidence they could give you a ticket sure i mean anytime a cop has an interaction with somebody that's not voluntary they have to have a reasonable suspicion yeah okay so we've gone from simply looking at a person to squinting at a person yes basically (laughs) Uh um but it it can't be like based on like a hunch or a guess right they can't like guess that you were speeding back there they would have it has to be it has to be unbiased, clear, mm-hmm. fair, and justified. And cops are great at that. So, <laughs> are we rubbing off on you? <laughs> but I, you know, kind of in that same uh, vibe, I'd like to point out that we're only two steps up. So, reasonable suspicion is pretty much very nothing. low. And, and this is true. Just, just to like reinforce this, a reasonable a suspicion is not a hunch. It's not when an officer gets a gut feeling that, oh, that guy's probably about to commit a crime. That's not reasonable suspicion. So Okay. Not a hunch. Although not a hunch, some not a hunch, might, not a hunch. Yeah. Some might feel like a hunch is reasonable suspicion. <laughs> but they would be wrong. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So once you, you're up at reasonable suspicion and then you've got a little bit more evidence and you get to take one more step up to probable cause. I've heard this one before. I don't know what it is, but I've heard of it. Oh, I was gonna say, tell me what you think it is. No? Okay. Mm, I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna embarrass myself that's that way. Why don't why doesn't someone explain it to me? Who knows what they're talking about? And so probable cause, I'm just gonna like give a little bit of background. <laughs> not much. Um this this derives from the Fourth Amendment itself. Because the Fourth Amendment says no warrant shall issue but upon probable cause, right? So what does that mean? Well, the courts haven't been real clear on this. (laughs) It's kind of, it's kind of a fluid concept where like what probable causes changes depending on the circumstances. So you have to determine what probable cause is from looking at the individual circumstances that you might be looking at. But probable cause is what's required to either make an arrest, conduct a search or receive a warrant for the, for them to, to get a warrant for your arrest from a judge. That is what's required to get to probable cause. This is not to find somebody guilty, right? Like we're way, we're still pretty far off the off here. This is just the evidence required for the cops to be able to either arrest you or search you or your property or get a warrant from a judge. And what probable cause is, <laughs> um, I, I kind of explained it a little bit, but it's based on the totality of the circumstances. It's like if you have reasonable and trustworthy information that a particular person has committed a p- particular crime. So there's something there that's telling you, okay, maybe. I least enough <laughs> to like look into it. You know, you have reasonable suspicion to pull someone over because uh, they were speeding, I guess. 
you pull him over and then um you see let me think traffic stops are hard so maybe i walked into a hard one here but okay so you pulled someone over you go up to their uh front I mean, to their driver's side window, they roll down the window and you notice in the passenger seat a little um, baggie of a white substance. Ooh. I think at this point you have probable cause based on seeing that in plain view to search the car. And there is a clear definition when it reply applies to searching, right? Mm-hmm. Searching is there's a fair probability that a search will result in evidence of a crime being discovered. Like possession in that case where it was like in plain view right there. You could see it. Right. And by and you're allowed to search further beyond that plain view. You can search the entire vehicle now because you've, you've got evidence that a crime has been committed. And so you're searching for further evidence. But even though, and I and I want to point this out, I did say a white a bag with a white substance because even though your first thought was oh drugs, they only had probable cause. The only amount of evidence you have is that mm, that could be a crime, right? They would have to test it and prove that that person was actually in possession of it for that person to be guilty. So we're still not even at guilty yet. Probable cause is not enough. Right. A, a cop saying through my training and experience, I believe this to be cocaine is not enough to convict someone. That's only reasonable information that a particular person has committed a particular crime. Right. And, <laughs> and the cop can't arrest you. Sure. Yeah. You can be arrested now. We, you know, we've, we've reached the level of probable cause where you're going to get arrested if an officer has probable cause. But it's still, we're still really far down. You can get arrested on very little evidence. Mm-hmm. It just has to ri- rise to the level of probable cause. Mm-hmm. And they also have the right to like confiscate your property at this point. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 100%. Yeah. 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 Okay. And what I, so I stopped myself from in that example saying that like they smelled weed or something because one, I'm hopeful. Mm-hmm. That that will no longer be probable cause because in in Texas hemp is legal and hemp is smells the same as illegal marijuana, and because it smells the same, if you smell what you think is marijuana, you don't technically, in my opinion, it hasn't been said by the courts yet in Texas in Maryland, did, <laughs> but I don't think that's enough for probable cause because it could still be a legal substance and not an illegal sure. substance. Right. But we live in Texas, yeah. so I'm, I'm interested to see. The law is relatively <laughs> new. Hemp just became, a le- came, became legal in Texas last summer. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is still a fairly new thing. It has Nothing much has moved up through the courts at this point. Too mm-hmm. new for that. Um, I'm hopeful, but I, I recognize we do have very conservative upper courts in texas so okay well we're having lots of fun talking about marijuana yeah sorry i started it i'm sorry Um, (laughs) okay so we're on the probable cause step now the next step if you're in the civil world this is where your landing would be so when we say civil we're talking like personal injury lawsuits we're talking divorce child custody family matters Financial outside thing. of yeah, yeah. outside of child custody, yeah. 
Um, this is preponderance of the evidence. So the the best way to describe that is like if if zero was no evidence and a hundred percent was all the evidence, yeah, absolute certainty. Preponderance of the evidence would be fifty one percent or greater than fifty percent. Yeah. Yeah, because it could be fifty point zero 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 one percent, but yeah, yeah, greater than fifty percent. So, like, you're you, the the one way that you can picture this is you can picture a pair of scales, and if they're perfectly balanced, then they're both at the same level. But if one tips, you know, down, and the other one tips up, the one that's tipping down has now met the burden of preponderance of the evidence, even if it's slight. Yeah. So, if you've got a toe on the landing, all of you is on the landing. <laughs> Yeah, yes. exactly. So, yeah, it's just, like, the greater weight or amount of evidence, like she said, that scale is a really good example of that. It's just, even if it's just the slightest bit more, then you have met preponderance of the evidence. So, I mean, the metaphor the metaphor is going great. I appreciate that. What does that mean? It, like, what does that look like? Like, how, how do you know that you have more than 50% of the evidence? Um, in, in civil cases, there's usually, like, this is a little... It really only applies to civil cases because of the nature of this type of burden. But say you have one one person saying, this person caused this damage and here's my proof. And the other person saying, this person caused, or I did not cause this damage, they caused it themselves and here's my proof. And both of their proof is credible. The jury just has to weigh in and goes, well, which one do I believe a little bit more? Mm-hmm. And that's how they did Yeah. So it's just, it, that's what it comes down to is like, they're looking at the evidence in most cases, you know, it's not going to be by, you know, it's going to be clear in a lot of cases in civil, it's very clear. There's not this like complex weighing that goes on where they're like, well, I don't know. Is it 50% plus? Like, I can't, it's not like that. It's usually more clear than that. But in a circ- in a case where like you have two sides that are credible and are both presenting evidence and they both seem realistic, it's just like the jury just has to go, well, which one seems more credible? Which one seems like the better story? And that's how they can determine preponderance of the evidence. Yeah. Okay. And, and civil, you know, the remedy in civil is typically monetary. So it's you, people are trying, are doing civil cases to get money, some sort of replacement for the damages that have been caused, right? So that's why their burden is also not as high as criminal because criminal could be life or death. And in civil, that's where the lawyers who want to make money, they, they go do civil. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Going to slide right past that one. Where's the next, where's the next step? <laughs> All right. So if you uh, make it past uh, preponderance and you go up one more step, this would be the landing for um, cases like child custody. So this is clear and convincing. Um. And it's like a firm belief that the allegations are true. That's like my summary of it. But um, Stacey, do you want to read like the technical definition of it? It it means that evidence is highly and substantially more likely to be true than untrue. And the fact finder must be convinced that the contention is highly probable. So it's greater than preponderance of evidence. It's less than what we're going to talk about in a minute with the, the criminal burden. It's in the middle of those two, but it has to be highly and substantially more likely to be true than untrue. So now like with proponents of evidence, we were like that toe on the stairs. 
with clear and convincing evidence, you need to be able to put like half your body on the stairs. Like you need to be, <laughs> very, you need to be uh-huh. very, like nearly convinced that like convinced a hundred percent nearly, I would think, but you know, that's not the definition. Um, yeah. So it's like, it's like, if you're asking somebody a question, they're going to be like, Oh yeah, probably. Yeah. Like, like it's not, it's not like super duper true, but they're like, Oh yeah, like it's probably true. And Courtney has a great um, mechanism that we use in Vordire that I'm going to let her tell us about. So the way we explain this in Vordire is we usually pick someone out of the jury pool that has children, usually young because they still like them at that age. And um, <laughs> we, I, it's true. <laughs> <laughs> you you ask somebody with teenagers, and they'll be like, "How much proof do you need for the state to take away your kid?" And they're gonna be like. Take them now. I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so what what we do, I mean, that's a little bit of a spoiler, but what we do is I explain to them that, like, okay, this side of the courtroom or this wall is no evidence, and all the way on the other side of the courtroom, that's 100% certainty. Like, all the evidence in the world, you're 100% sure. And then I ask that parent to I, – I walk from no evidence all the way over to 100% certainty, and I ask them to stop me when they think that – um, the state would have enough evidence to uh, prove they're an unfit parent and take their children away from them. And every time I go and I like touch the wall and people tell me go further, right? Like they, you know, people are on their kids <laughs> taken away. It's really effective. And that's a great way to show it is that like, if you wanted your kids taken away, that's the amount of evidence you would want. Right. But then I show them. I'm sorry. If you're, I mean, like, if your kids were going to be taken away, that's the amount of evidence that you would want in order for the state to be able to do that. Um, But and then I and then I demonstrate that you know, clear and convincing is the burden in which the state has to take to be able to take your kids away from you. And I show them how far away from the wall it actually is. Right. You know, which is like it's about. I usually do about in between halfway and the wall is like kind of where I'm at. So like I'm at 75%, like 75%. Yeah. yeah. And in all, in, in all the times that we've either seen this done, cause other attorneys have done it as well, or that Courtney and I have done it. Um, nobody has stopped us before Courtney's hand has touched the wall. Mm-hmm. I even did it on my own mother Ooh. to show her. And she's like, that's really effective. Not guilty. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, we're not there yet. Because we're not even we're not even to what is required to take away your liberty. This is just what is yeah. required to take away your children. And it is a lower burden than what is mm-hmm. required to take away your liberty. Yeah. So like I mean, you would you would want a high level of evidence in order for uh the state to prove that you're an unfit parent and the the burden they actually have to meet is lower than what you would probably want, but the burden that the state needs to meet in order for you as a jury member to find this person guilty is even more than the amount of evidence that you would want before the ki- the state took your kids away. Yeah. It helps them. It helps them figure like figure out. And, and even if you don't have kids like that's, I think it's a good visual mm-hmm. at where that is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so we're, that's clear and convincing evidence is just like, it's very likely to be true. Um, and it's the burden required for the state in Texas to be able to take away your children. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And then the a little, next, a little messed up, but sure. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, like, I don't know. I'm sure there's a reason for it, but anyway, um, 
I was going to do a whole spiel, but I was like, that's not on topic. Um, okay, next step would be reasonable doubt. We're not at the landing yet. We haven't, stepped, fit. We haven't stepped foot. We are just, we're right before we are stepping on, on the landing. We are on reasonable doubt. We are okay. on it. You're okay. on the step for reasonable doubt. And reasonable doubt is kind of like. It's not defined in the state of Texas. Thank you, Supreme Court. Yeah, that's why, yeah, it's not defined. So that's why I started that sentence with, it's kind of like, <laughs> because. <laughs> we don't we don't have a definition of reasonable doubt. And the, what the courts have said is that reasonable doubt is very personal to each individual and that they know it when they see it. Mm-hmm. Hello? <laughs> yeah, and, and the reason for that is that, you know, your reasonable doubt might be 80%. Someone's reasonable doubt might be 90%, right? But the point is, it's the state's job to take you past that. Because reasonable, if you have reasonable doubt, that's not guilty. Because that means like you're not sure. There's something preventing you from moving past that, right? And so it's the state's job, because we're on the reasonable doubt step right now. It's the state state's job to take your hand and help you up that one last step to beyond a reasonable doubt. <laughs> so does, does the reasonable doubt step just exist to get you to beyond a reasonable doubt? Well, you can't have any reasonable doubts. Yeah. So you- if you're if you're on the step before you get on the landing for re- beyond a reasonable doubt, it means you still have reasonable doubts. Yeah. You haven't been able to take that that leap yet. Sure. So like even if even if like your whole body is on that last step, if you have one foot still on reasonable doubt, they're not guilty. Yeah. <laughs> you have to have all all of your feet, whether you have two or one, on <laughs> on beyond a reasonable doubt. Or not. Or that third one. Or the third. I don't know, you know. Um and and we do have some guidance, like as lawyers, because the federal government has defined it. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so um, the federal government's definition is a reasonable doubt is a doubt based upon reason and common sense, the kind of doubt that would make a reasonable person hesitate to act. That oh, is okay. what the federal government. So when we're talking about reasonable doubt doesn't have a definition it's in Texas state court. We're not allowed to define it for the jury. The prosecution's not allowed to define it for the jury. We can give them examples, but we're not allowed to like give them definitions. So, okay, but like why though? The the courts have said that we're just not allowed. Like it's 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 court given rules. But why is why Oh, I mean, this is my guess. I don't know why, but my guess <laughs> is that, you know, we really do in Texas we want the the jury in a state case to have their own vote and in order to feel like they have their own vote reasonable doubt needs to be personal to them okay so that's that's one of the things that we do is like you know if you if you have reasonable doubt if you if you don't think the state has brought you to whatever it is that you need to get beyond a reasonable doubt hold on to that because it's personal to you so no one can take that from you and like one thing i may that i go over and like you know a baby clothes or something at the end is i remind them you know if you're it doesn't since there is no definition reasonable doubt for them could mean you're 99 or beyond a reasonable doubt for them could mean you're 99 percent sure 
And if you have to, if the state needs to get you to 99% sure in order for you to find them guilty, then that, then hold on to that, you know, mm-hmm. make them meet you there. Um, you know, if your reasonable doubt is 90%, you know, they still have to meet you there, right? So that's why I probably should have said 90 and then 99, but still, you get it. <laughs> like, you know, I mean, yeah. some people might not need 90%. Some people might, you know, need 85, which scares me. I would hate to have a juror on my jury. <laughs> I was 80, like, they only need 85% sure. Like, but I mean, you know, like, like, like no, there's still 15%, so like, go ahead and take it. I don't care. <laughs> yeah. Mm, okay. Yes, that makes sense. And in, in that context, like, it makes sense that you wouldn't want, like, the process the you wouldn't want the state to be like this is definitely what reasonable doubt is and then for the defense attorney to come along behind and be like but it's personal yeah and the reason why i think you know we've been talking about all of the other burdens is because it's impossible to understand reasonable doubt without understanding the other burdens which is why we also explain it to a jury right you know we can't explain to a jury you have to find proof beyond reasonable doubt we can't give you a definition of it. We can't tell you what that means. It's very personal to you, but it's proof beyond a reasonable doubt, which means you have no reasonable doubts. That's the only, def- it's not really a definition. It's just repeating mm-hmm. the words, right? Um, you know, at the end of this, if the state is, the state has met their burden too in this one, like the state has to prove this. The defense doesn't have to bring any evidence at all. The state has to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that the defendant did what the state is claiming that the defendant did. Mm-hmm. Um, And so we're allowed to explain all of the other burdens because it's really the only way to put beyond a reasonable doubt in context for jurors to truly understand the gravity of it. Um, Because the words themselves aren't going to mean a lot to them, right? Mm -hmm. Beyond a reasonable doubt. Okay. That doesn't mean much to them. And they're supposed to like come up with their own personal definition of what it is to them. Well, that's not, not going to mean anything to them either. So we, and, and this is what every lawyer does, including the state's attorneys and every, this, we all have to put it in context for the jury. And so we have to go through all of those other levels we've already talked about in order to get the jury and the public to understand what beyond a reasonable doubt is, because it is not clear and convincing evidence. It's higher than that. It is not preponderance of evidence. It's higher than that. Huh. Yeah. And why it's important another reason to put it in perspective like that is because you know like we said like you know if we backtrack backtrack a couple stairs probable cause a lot of people think well this person was arrested there was obviously enough evidence to bring them to trial right like but that might have only been enough for probable cause and so like you know people think like you know if you find someone not guilty, then you're saying like the police didn't do a good job or something like that. But it's like, no, like they probably had enough maybe for probable cause, but (laughs) just because they didn't have enough for proof beyond a reasonable doubt doesn't mean that you can't go, you know, tell that officer they did a good job still. Right. Because their job was probable cause. Right. They're, you know, and they met that they got to that stairs, but maybe they only made it up two more stairs, you know, after that, that's, you know, it happens. So like, that's why it's important to talk about the burdens before it is because it shows them that like, just cause that person was arrested, just cause evidence was found. There's still that gap that they have to meet all the way up to probable cause. Right. Yeah. It can't be, maybe they did it. It can't be likely they did it. You know, it has to be so much more than that. Like if you're not sure, but maybe, well, that's not guilty. Right. 
so they basically what the state has to do is you start with all the doubt, right? Because you have no evidence, you have all the doubt that the person has committed a crime because they're innocent because of the presumption, right? And so the state has to give you enough evidence to move you up those stairs to the point where not all your doubt, not all your, and that's the thing the state will always do. It doesn't mean you have no doubt because if you had no doubt, what are you? You're a witness to the events. <laughs> you saw it happen. That's the only way all, any one of us can have no doubt about something is if we actually saw it happen. Right. And also, um, like, even then, I still experience a lot of doubt. So, like, yeah, are you I mean, really... like, we, we all feel that way. Like, I witness, we all, we, we know eyewitness testimony is bad. Maybe that'll be a future podcast. Um, but, <laughs> the, but it, it has to be um, a reasonable doubt. Right. And if you have a reasonable doubt and the state doesn't convince you otherwise, and at the end of the state's evidence, you still have that reasonable doubt, then you have to vote not guilty. That's how it works. And so, you know, they, the state has to eliminate all reasonable doubt through their evidence. Yeah. Get off those stairs. <laughs> but yeah, so if they, if they, if the state gets there, if the state, um, you know, gets rid of all of the reasonable doubt, then they can take you up onto the landing. Yeah, that, then you're found guilty. That's the only time you should be found guilty. And that's kind of where jury deliberations can be frustrating sometimes because sometimes they take a while and you wonder what they're talking about and you never get to know until after it's all over with. You're like, what is taking them so long? Or they'll come out with a question and the question will be something that you're just like, why are they asking that? That's so weird. What does that have (laughs) to do with whether or not our client is not guilty? But a lot of times when you see jur- when you see deliberations go on for a significant amount of time, it means somebody in there has a doubt because mm-hmm. there is disagreement. If it were agreement, the jury comes back and finds them guilty or not guilty right away, right? The longer it goes on, the more likely it is somebody in there has doubt. And the other jurors are trying to convince them that that doubt that they have is not reasonable or somebody doesn't have doubt. And the other jurors are trying to convince that person that they should have a reasonable doubt. And so the longer juror deliberations go on, I mean, somebody back there is saying, I'm not sure, which is a not guilty, right? I think I have a reasonable (laughs) doubt. And what happens back there is somehow, some way, unless you end up with a hung jury, somebody convinces one side or the other that that they're wrong and that and in, in a lot of cases that their doubt isn't reasonable. Yeah, we hear you, but look at the evidence. The evidence is obvious. How can you have any reasonable doubt with this evidence? And it just goes on and on. And if there's like five jurors beating up on one juror in a misdemeanor case, that one juror might cave. Now we had a mistrial. Um, I did a, I did a, a DWI case with another amazing attorney in San Antonio. Her name is Karen Corby. And, um, and we got a mistrial because this one juror, held on for hours and hours and hours. The judge was telling us we were going to, she was going to keep us all there to two or 3 AM. Cause she was not going to leave without a verdict. Right. And the jurors kept telling her, we can't come to a verdict because, you know, we don't have any agreement there. You know, we're, we're, we're deadlocked. And um, this one juror held on and she was the lone female on the rest of the male jurors. <laughs> and she held oh on. My God. But do you know the strength of character that requires? To be able to hold on after hours and hours and hours of other people trying to convince you that you're wrong. Like, yeah, that she, damn, like that, 
that is strength. That is conviction. Like it is, it is. Wow. And, and it finally got to the point where the judge wasn't letting them be hung, and they 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 sent a letter to the judge and said, "We put the evidence in the middle of the table, and uh, we refuse to look at it anymore." So the judge had to declare a mistrial at that point. Yeah. <laughs> and obviously not every jury deliberation goes that way. Like you're not no. going to get bullied at every deli- – but like no, no, sometimes no, no. people just take a while. Like maybe some people um, just based on like, you know, they watch the video and they're like, okay, that's enough for me. You know, and so they're at guilty already, you know. But other people, maybe it takes them a while to get there. They have to look at – every piece of evidence and they and so maybe they're it takes longer for them to get past a reasonable doubt or you know the other way around like you see all the evidence and it takes people uh, not a lot of time to determine that they're not guilty and it takes someone a little bit more time looking at the evidence to really feel like that person's not guilty right which means that they have the thinking backwards because you go in with them not guilty but anyway another important detail that i want to make sure we stick in here is that um the stairs that the state has to walk you up, they have to do that for every element of the offense. So it's not just that overall, yeah, that part person most likely did it. Each crime has elements of the offense. Like it has to be committed, you know, it was committed in Bear County, you know, it, on this date, that thing. Each of those they have to prove beyond a reasonable doubt. And if they're missing one of those elements, it's not guilty. Right. Wow. Right. And sometimes and sometimes there's more to it than that too. Mm-hmm. You know, defenses can come into play and the burden stays on the state. So if, let's take self-defense. This will be a, 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 as easy as I can make it, right? So the state proves all of their elements. That on, so in a self-defense case, let's say it's an assault. So on or about a certain date in Bear County, the, the defendant – assaulted the complainant. That's what we call the victims in Texas. They're complainants, the alleged victims um, in some manner, like by, like, let's say by striking them with their fist. Okay. Um, that's the elements of the assault in Texas. If the state proves all of those elements, which in every single self-defense case, they will, they have to, because you don't get to self-defense unless on or about a certain day in Bear County, the defendant struck the complainant. Like, that has that's an element of self-defense. But why did this defendant strike the complainant, right? So then the defense brings up the defense, the states proved their case. So then the defense has to do something, and it could be using the state's evidence to do it to show that it was done in self-defense. And again, this is like a a scintilla of evidence type of issue. Um, so we can go back to that a little bit. You know, the state the defense just has to bring up something, anything to show that it was self-defense. And then once the defense does that. The burden goes back to the state to prove it was not self-defense. So they have to show beyond a reasonable doubt that the elements of self-defense do not apply to a case. So self-defense gets kind of wonky, and that can be very difficult to explain to juries. Um, And that sometimes the defenses is why juries are having a hard time. They're like, well, all of these elements are met, but now we have to deal with this defense, and defenses can be difficult. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like... You're pushing them down the stairs. <laughs> well, I don't. It's not pushing down the stairs. Let's put let's put it this way. So you have a staircase, and the state's trying to take it up, take you up that to prove a certain element, right? And the defense is just going to say, "All right, okay, come over to my staircase real quick, and we're going <laughs> to take you up one step, 
And then because we take you up that one step, now the state's going to have to take you to a different staircase and try to prove that what we showed you on our one step is not true. And then they have to take you up all the steps of that staircase. So, so, so it's like you've wheeled another staircase in front of the staircase they just put in that. <laughs> or like next to. Yeah, we're not pushing anyone down any stairs. We're just like, hey, yeah, no. try out this step over here. Right. How's it feel? Definitely escorting them, but it's still beyond a reasonable doubt, right? Mm -hmm. It's just now we've thrown a little wrench into the state's case, where now they they don't only have to prove their elements, but they have to prove something else as well beyond a reasonable doubt. And usually, when I say prove it, I mean they need to disprove something. Which disproving something, it's one of the reasons I really do like defense law in Texas because it really does favor the defendant as it should. Because if somebody did something in self defense. It shouldn't be a burden on them to a hundred percent prove that it wasn't that that it was self defense, because that's hard to prove, right? Like it's hard it, unless you have witnesses and it's just your story against somebody else's story. That's hard to prove a hundred percent that it was self defense. So once you raise the issue of self defense, the burden is then again on the state trying to take your way your liberty to disprove it. And I think that that's the way it should be. And I think that we handle it appropriately in Texas. Yeah. So it's just giving the state a new staircase that they have to take the, the jury up. Yes. Okay. That, yes. Just with All a different this, goal in mind at the top of the stairs. It's a different set of elements. Yeah. It's a slightly different staircase. This must mm-hmm. be, this must be an art installation or something with so many staircases of various styles and so many landings very interesting collection of stairs. <laughs> mm-hmm. Or I guess you could say like it's just adding more stairs to the top, right? So if you're thinking about the elements, okay, like, if they take was, you like, let's say like um, the the first element is like on or about this day, right? Okay, well, they prove that. All right, cool. Beyond a reasonable doubt. That's the first like the first floor now. There's stairs and there's floors. And each element is a floor now. Stairs and floors and landings. <laughs> And if we introduce a defense, we've just added a floor. We've made the building higher. Yeah, but that's what I was or, trying to say with my metaphor earlier. Oh, sorry. Or, I didn't or we catch could it. just we could just stay on the same set of stairs. But we can just think of it as you have to put a bunch of things on the on the landing before you yourself can get on the landing. And so yeah, like you you have I items. Think it's more that, confusing than than a stairs say and you, floors. Say you have a say you have a <laughs> basket of vegetables. Oh and my god! Order, <laughs> and in order to but 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 the rules of this staircase are in, before you can step on the landing, you have to unload your basket of vegetables and throw them onto the landing. Okay, so like honor about this day. Okay, I'll take this tomato. They proved that I'm throwing it onto the landing, and I know that tomatoes are fruit to some people. Um, and then uh, it's County. So I've got a pepper now and I'm going to take that pepper and I'm going to throw it onto the landing. Right. And then they prove all of their elements and they're just about to take a step. And then we throw something back at them. Like the <laughs> stairs, instantly they're like, Nope, you've got it. Or no, they bring you a new basket. That's what it is. This, before you're about to take a step. On oh that my landing, gosh. You get a new basket of vegetables. You have to unload. That's what defenses are. There we go. Okay, if a prosecutor is trying to climb a basket is trying to climb the stairs and they have thirty-two lemons in their basket, how many lemons will they have left once the defense <laughs> gives them a new basket? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Are we turning this into math? Cause if so, I'm out of here. 
Okay, all of this has made a, a surprising amount of sense to me. Um, <laughs> do we have any final thoughts on Burden of Proof today? I mean, Burden of Proof is fun. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very, very favorable to, to our clients, and it should be, because it should be very hard for the state to take away your freedoms. Yes. So I'm, I, it's, they should it's have one to of the climb things, a lot of stairs. Yes. It's one of the things that makes us as defense attorneys effective as defense attorneys, because if the state has a weak case, they're not going to be able to meet their burden. And weak cases should never result in convictions. Wait, so, okay, everyone, I have, I have a thought. I have a question. Um, so this burden of proof, it all sounds great. It all sounds fantastic. Um, got to climb all of these stairs. If this is such a great system, why are so many people convicted when they shouldn't be? Oh, That's my God. That's a great this question. such a topic. And, a topic. I mean, <laughs> sometimes, I mean, there's a lot of reasons, right? Um, sometimes it's because the jury maybe thought the state got them to the top when really they were still a step below, you know, and like they just sometimes it's it's a matter of the mindset the jury goes in into deliberation, right? If they are thinking that person's guilty anyway, no amount of evidence is going to change their mind, right? So sometimes it has to do with the way in which the jury, like the jury members, right? Are they out for a conviction or out, are they out for justice, right? And sometimes it, we have seen this. Sometimes it's because the whole story's not there at trial, right? The evidence presented in front of the jury is either false or misleading or or the state is not, has not given the exonerating evidence to the defense. That's how Michael Morton happened, right? There was a p- there was a piece of evidence that the state deliberately um, did not give the defense that proved that Michael Morton was innocent, and he went to jail because that piece of evidence wasn't presented. So there's a lot of reasons why innocent people go to jail, but yeah, I, I mean, you- wrongful convictions are. Um- there, there's so many reasons when you look at each wrongful conviction as to why that case specifically ended in a wrongful conviction. Sometimes it's um, bad eyewitnesses. You know, they, they, they believe what they're saying. 100% believe what they're saying. I think there was a recent case. So eyewitness testimony can be one reason. Um, you know, poor, bad forensics because we've now yeah, junk science. a lot of junk science out there. Right, exactly. Um, and so people get convicted based on teeth mark testimony, but we now know that teeth mark um, forensic science is junk. Um, and but people believe when they're doing these things that they are doing the right thing. That that this, that this is science. And you know, one of the great things about science is we we can think something is true, but science will eventually show us that it needs to change, and it, and it changes. Um, the law is a little behind science, so sometimes the law. Refuses to accept what the scientific community has come to accept um, for a while, but eventually, you know, the law the law catches up to science. There, there just so many, like this is a whole topic. Like, there's so many reasons for wrongful convictions, and we should probably do a, a podcast on wrongful convictions. Yeah, yeah. Like almost, almost as soon as I had asked it, I was like, "Ooh, I just, I just, 
I just gave you another basket. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. This, uh, this is a can of worms is what this is. <laughs> yes. Um, so it, it's, um, there's a lot of reasons for wrongful convictions and we'll talk about it later is what I'm hearing. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, then, then pivoting, um, Courtney, did you have any final thoughts? Yes. Um, I mean, kind of, because no one wants a wrongful conviction, that's why holding the state to their burden is so important. And sometimes um, letting some or like finding someone not guilty just because you're not sure, even if that person actually did it, that's better than convicting someone that you're not sure about and finding out they didn't do it. Yeah, yeah that's fair. Keeping, keeping innocent people out of jail, I think, is the goal rather than um, putting people away. So as long as you, as long as the state has taken you up those staircases and you are now sure that that person did what the state is saying, then, you know, all right, return your guilty verdict. But if you have any not sures in you, it's better to be not sure and find them not guilty than not sure and take away someone's life from them. Love it. A little heavy, but I love it. That's how I feel about the burden. And that's why it's important. It's because that's what you're dealing with. You're dealing with people's liberties. You're dealing with people's lives. So take it seriously. Hold, hold the state to their burden. And that's really all we ever ask is that we're holding the state to their burden. If, the jurors come back to us after a guilty verdict and tell us that they just they held the state to their burden and the the state got them over that they had no doubts no reasonable doubts um we accept that yeah yeah well on that cheerful note um thank <laughs> you so much for listening to plead the six we've had a we've had a really good conversation here today um hopefully none of you guys are going to be climbing any stairs anytime soon I might like I might cut that out, but I don't know. <laughs> um, check us out on Facebook and Twitter at Cross Daily Law, as well as our website CrossDailyLaw.com, where we'll be posting episodes and you can post comments and talk to each other. We're always happy to answer questions, and we'll even shoulder the burden of proof. Um, but join <laughs> us next time when we're going to be talking about alternatives to incarceration. I don't want to be in jail. You don't want to be in jail. We certainly don't want our tax dollars going towards keeping people in jail. So let's talk about some alternatives. And until then, keep pleading the sixth.